1: Welcome uh, to this third man stage, uh, an incredible magician and spirit and his sister Sarah, the Dexrama-Berduo.
0: been a long time, now I'm coming back home to this pod. <laughs> we've been away now. Oh, how we've we've been so alone. Oh, so Somebody very alone. alone. But That's 2020 for us. Um, Welcome season five of the Third Men podcast. I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. We're a little rusty at this, I think. We're a little rusty. We haven't, we've been doing, all right, everybody. Well, first of all, this is a Jack White History Podcast. We go over Jack White, Third Man Records, et cetera, uh, et cetera. Yeah, other things too, but yeah. Um, and over the last, I don't know, what, what would you say, Jay's month, month and a half? Feels like years, but yeah. <laughs> we have been, I promise, I promise we've been doing this. We have been hard at work on putting this season together for you. And we have actually maybe more interviews and episodes in the can right now than we've ever had in the history of the Very show. Very true. How, maybe since the beginning. However, <laughs> it's been a while since it was just me and you, Paul, here recording yeah. at y'all the audience. Usually, we have, What do we even talk about? I don't know. Like, I got these theories about ghosts I've been workshopping. <laughs> uh, James has got some ghost, we got, ghostly Should theories. we talk about Jurassic Park and in ghost, goats? Goats? <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I think one of us is supposed to be pretending we're in a rocket ship at this point in the show. I, I, I don't remember. Yeah, or, you know, coming out of a time stasis or something along those lines. So, James, where were we before we broke for our season five, four to five break? Where were we? I think we were breaking slowly from exhaustion and pandemic uh so i don't remember exactly i think we had talked to brandon benson brandon benson was a big one for us last season that's true but no james we had uh, bobby harlow <gasps> on i think oh, mr bobby harlow i forgot yeah that was a good one that was a really great interview we had a lot of fun and you know i think that what we've got set up for season five here is, i don't know i think it's primed to be some of our some of our best yeah i don't i don't want to overhype it no do it No, do it. We set up a a lot of great, amazing interviews. We're excited. We really wanted this season to shine. And uh, I think we'll do it. I think we'll do it, Paul. Yeah. So, you know, a lot has happened in our time away in the world and stuff. I hope everybody's hanging in there, doing all right out there. We are recording this fairly close to when it's going to go live. But as I mentioned, you know, we have a lot of great and interesting interviews and uh, show topics that we've been preparing and getting ready to go. And we're really, really excited for season five. I think it's going to be our best season yet. And we hope you all like what we have in store. Yes. Strap in. Get ready for some great interviews. Strap in. Strap, strap on, on. Tune out. Is clap, that what it is? Clap in. Clap clap on. Clap once. Strap on. Turn it all about. Is that the one? That's is the that... hokey pokey? <laughs> Did. <laughs> <laughs> Was Timothy Leary reinterpreting the Hokey Pokey? I Yes. Should we start over? <laughs> We're rusty at this, guys. Paul, what are we doing this week? Who, who do we got on the slate? Well, our first up in season five is a legend in the world of third man music. He is one half of the group that inspired Jack White to... Pick up the guitar again. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in a lot of ways inspired the White Stripes' just general aesthetic and mission statement fairly directly. One of the quintessential punk rockabilly, whatever you want to call it, musicians. Let's call them like underground musicians of the '80s and '90s and beyond. Uh, a legend, Mr. Dexter Romweber. Dex Romweber himself has joined us on the show. We're very excited. See, Paul, from your description, I was going to guess it was half of the bones of Sun House, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we would have got Sun House on the show, but you see, he's dead. (laughs) So we couldn't do that. I did reach out to his publicist, who again (laughs) reiterated. He was also dead. (laughs) His publicist was also dead. Uh, But that guy's grandson had a lot of things to say. Let me tell you. Yeah, he's a listener, and he didn't care for the show. Uh, (laughs) He didn't care for it. He is an avid listener, doesn't care for it, but listens (laughs) regularly. (laughs) So, yeah. Thanks, Rom Weber. That was a big one for us. Now, if you'll remember back on episode, I didn't write it down here. Uh, Oh, episode 25. Wow. The podcast. Early. So, we're at episode one. Twenty-eight right now, something like that. One twenty-two and eighth is the pizza number. Now, if okay, if you if you (laughs) if you recall, that is even before our April Fool's Day Smash Mouth episode. (laughs) I think it's the one right before, in which somebody said it's too early for you guys to be parodying yourself. So this is early. I went back, James. I went back and listened to our Flat Duo Jets episode, episode 25, where we talk about Dex's influence on Jack pretty directly. I went back and listened to it, and I thought, well, some of this is all right. (laughs) I really don't recommend the show until, I don't know, somewhere in the 80s, 90s. Still this one. (laughs) Yeah, this one. Maybe start here. (laughs) But, no, it's um, when we got to know Dex It was, I think, largely through the film It Might Get Loud, where Jack talks a lot about Flat Duo Jets, and they played some of that footage. And I recall, I don't know if you remember what your impressions were, James, when when you first saw Flat Duo Jets, but when I saw that footage in It Might Get Loud for the first time, it looked and felt, even though the sound wasn't all quite there, Mm -hmm. it looked like Jack, to me, in that moment you know it looked like jack saw that and went i want to do that (laughs) you know yeah two piece the big energy the throwback sound the sparseness all that stuff and you know what we've found is that jack had a lot of other ideas too and obviously the white stripes aren't just a carbon copy of flat duo jets obviously but you know there is a lot of similarity between those two groups and we were just thrilled to be able to pick dexter's brain and talk to him a bit on the show here and to uh not to be a dirty rotten tease but he does mention how jack white considers an idol or a an inspiration and he's he even says "I i don't i don't hear the similarities i don't see the similarities but to me they're pretty they're pretty easy to spot i mean even right down to the uh using equipment that fights you back you know the hard edge rock and roll the old classic vintage equipment you know he they really they have a lot of similar choices Let's just say musical choices. Yeah, I think they're spiritually akin. Yes, but the the trappings of the music, a lot of that stuff is all different. Yes, but there is a lot of like philosophical, general approach, that kind of thing. I right. think is what where their similarities lie. And uh, this interview really goes through a broad swath of Dex's, uh, you know, career, and we talk a, a good bit about. You know him in the white stripes and Jack White in general. and um, so uh, it's a great one. So you guys are in for a treat. Yeah, but before we get to that, James, uh, is there something we should start smelling? Uh, nope. Stop doing. S- no, no. Mm-mm. Uh, d- did we fall in love with anything recently? Couldn't COVID. Oh sh. Uh, somebody had a story. Oh, did somebody have a story to, to, to tell? tell? <laughs> Let's every single one had a story to tell.
2: Don't want
1: to hear about it. Every single one's got a story to tell.
0: Well, first of all, James, do you want to tell with the people, what every single one's got a story to tell is? It's been too long. I don't remember. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, the portion of the show when somebody uh, writes in with, with a story of a show they've been to or an interaction they've had or just to say, say, hey, and we have a segment here dedicated to that. Yeah. Well, we got a really, really nice email. This is going back a ways. This is going back to like May but I don't think we talked about it on the show. This is from Ashley Forbes, and she is from Canada. Did we talk about this on the show? I don't think we did. If we did, we're just doing it again. She's from Canada, which I assume is much cooler than where I am right now, which is a sweltering oven place. (laughs) And right now I'm actually, it's making me feel cooler to think about Canada where I assume, again, it is cooler in temperature. They use Celsius. I don't know what it is, Celsius here, but it's whatever, whatever the fucking hot option of Celsius is. 100. We got so far off topic here. I know. So anyway, we got a really nice, really nice email from Ashley Forbes <laughs> who wrote us in and to tell us that she, she enjoyed the show. And so we really appreciate that from Ashley. But she also said that... Um, she recounted a story of seeing Jack White for the first time in June 2018 in Toronto and then again in November in Ottawa the same year. So that's the Boarding House Reach tour. And she said that it, actually the Boarding House Reach era was the thing that really kind of skyrocketed her fandom, which I think you and I look back at the Boarding House Reach era and go, well, that was a weird thing. Yeah. But actually, I think it spoke to way more people than we anticipated, James, at that time. And it's funny, I was listening to the Jack live at Third Man, Boarding House Reach era vault release, the albums, the live albums Mm -hmm. earlier today. I was thinking, boy, this stuff sounds kind of good. And I was thinking like, at the time, I think we were just so confused by it all or so like, I don't know, it was just, it was just a lot to take in. I think we both also saw early shows, which, you know, he was still warming up. I equate it like this. It was a lot like taking drugs in the sense that you're like, is this forever? And like you freak out, right? And you have palpitations and you start to lose it because you're like, oh, am I, is this just what I'm going to be? Like that kid, the David who went to the dentist, that kid. And he's, is this real life? Is this going to be forever? Hit meme from 2006, (laughs) David at the dentist. (laughs) kid's old as fuck right now so ashley went and saw jack on this tour and uh she said she had a blast because she was able to see it with her son and she was able to say that uh it was a fine accomplishment her herself as a parent having jack white be her son's first concert so anyway in the ottawa show she got there early she was first in line to get there and get in and get a good spot in the pit and she wound up seeing the show, loving it, being super, super close. And then Jack threw his pick into the crowd. No one caught it, but it landed close to her. And her and her boyfriend, like, f- sort of furiously searched when the house lights went up to try and find it. And she got it. So she actually got one of Jack White's picks uh, at a boarding house reach show, which is awesome. I'll never forget the pick thief from my Cooperstown. <laughs> <laughs> ugh. ugh. Oh, I forgot about that. So close. I was next to it. I was next to the damn thing. I mean, yeah. Anyway. Well, that's how I got the Brendan Benson pick at the and Tours. He threw it, no one caught it, and I had to wait till people started clearing out. But I, I definitely shoved some people. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I shoved a few people I knew, too, which is actually worse because you have to look them in the eye later. Yeah. It wasn't like aggressive shoving. It was more like, I am going this way, and you're no, standing he, in my path. He pushed him on the ground and kicked some dirt in their eye uh yeah so anyway thank you so much Ashley there was more in the note here but I wanted to relay that story so I thought it was very cool and I, I think it's awesome that you've became a super fan as it were during the boarding house reach era and I hope you dug the rack and tour stuff that came out and when whatever comes next. I hope you're following Jack's weird couch instagram and all that stuff and <laughs> we're really happy to have you we're really happy boy this is rusty as f- yeah we were been recording for like 30 minutes i think i'm gonna use like 10 of this <laughs> um We're really happy that you are here and listening to the show, and we appreciate you. And again, if we have given you a shout out before and don't remember, I can't be blamed for that because I don't remember anything about last season anymore except- Paul also crawled into an oven recently and is living there. So he's in really hot Celsius right now. I'm in the hot Celsius. He's in the hot Celsius. (laughs) Drinking some hot (laughs) seltzer. All right. So that was Every Single One's Got a Story to Tell. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm just going to do, James, a quick background on Flat Duo Jets. I'm not going to do the whole thing. I'm just going to give you the important bit. So they're from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Dex Romweber and drummer Chris Crow Smith uh, got together in the early 80s and formed this group called the Flat Duo Jets, which, you know, they named themselves after crap who's uh gene vincent's guitar guitar. yeah yeah they named themselves after gene vincent's guitar and so they play like rockabilly type songs so like old school rock tunes but done in like a fast-paced sort of punky way Mm -hmm. and that occasionally gets them classified as psycho billy i i I say this a lot in episode 25 i still mean it i don't really like that term because it sounds kind of it sounds like a scene or something. I don't know. It just sounds a little fabricated to me, but, or like, uh, when we were talking to our guest in episode 25, Mike Cavallaro, Johnny X, he was talking about how sometimes like imitation rockabilly can sound like an impression as opposed to like actually feeling the music. Whereas the flat duo jets are not that the flat duo jets if you ever wonder what it's like to see the Flat Duo Jets, and we've never seen them, but through the live performance, I think we could say pretty securely, it's like a lot like watching the White Stripes. Jack looks possessed. Dex looks possessed. There's a raw energy that you get from that band. Sure, sure. So anyway, Flat Duo Jets put out an album called In Stereo in 1985, which you know kind of got them some attention. They were on an MTV show called Cutting Edge. and They had some notoriety... From their performances and you know they were able to you know Rolling Stone mentioned them a a lot of people said they were like the up-and-coming stars of the time yeah 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 and they put out a few records eventually they went on a national tour with the Cramps which were inspirations for them when they were younger and they were starting to pick up some steam and actually they get on David Letterman in 1990 and it looked like things were going to kind of take off and then they just they sort of stalled for them, but they did put out, I mean, on a, on a major commercial level, mm-hmm. um, they did put out a lot of records. We have Go Go Harlem Baby, we have Safari, White Trees, um, Introducing the Flat Duo Jets, Red Tango, Wild Blue Yonder, and then they put out a major label release called Lucky Eye, and as it turns out, that was the album that kind of was the death nail for the band because it was supposed to be their big launch pad record. And then it kind of, it didn't perform like people were expecting it to. And he and Crow kind of got into it a little bit. And uh, I mean, we don't want to speculate as to the, we know there are differing opinions as to why he and Crow went their separate ways, but they did. And uh, whatever the reasons were, they um, they wound up splitting up and You know, Dex brought in a buddy of his called uh, Crash Laresh to the band, and they played a couple gigs and stuff, and and they did actually wind up reuniting again, uh, him and Crash, as the Flat Duo Jets in 2016. But Dex went solo in the uh, interim there, in the meantime, and put out a lot of great records, uh, both as himself, Dex Romweber, and with his sister, Sarah, who's sadly passed away at the time of this recording. And... They put out albums under the name uh, Dex Romweber Duo, which it's funny. I didn't really realize that that's just sort of a play on flat duo jets. It's just Dex Romweber yeah, duo, duo, but yeah. they're the duo because they're. Anyway, that was his uh, yeah brother and sister duo mm. playing rock music like that. Ring some bells for Jack White fans. And Dex in his time didn't just inspire Jack White, he inspired famously uh, Neko Case. And Cat Power, those are really the two two big ones, the two notable ones from this sort of indie era. Mm. And there's a great documentary, which, you know, when we recorded episode 25, I hadn't seen, but it's called Two-Headed Cow. It's actually streaming on Amazon Prime. Highly recommend everybody go out there and watch it because it is eye-opening about the career of Dex, the life of Dex, the mission statement of the Flat Duo Jets, and you get some amazing footage from Dex's early career, because uh, they cataloged a lot of it, a lot of their on-the-road stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty pretty great. Did I tell you this? He he actually reminds me, watching that old footage, he reminds me a lot of a uh, friend of the show, Vin Turo. Huh. Okay. I can see that. You know? Yeah. Like re- like kind of a poet, but... Yeah. Has a lot of ideas. Guy who also has played on the wild side, you yes. know? But yeah, so anyway, Jack wound up seeing him in 96 with the Duo Jets. And it's funny, we uncover in this interview which show that probably was. We don't know definitely, but I I think with reasonable certainty we can say which show it was that actually Jack saw, because I did track it down. And actually, there is available online... A performance, a full performance over an hour, which is what, James, we were, I had on here before you joined the watch room, that was filmed a, only a month prior to the performance with Jack, that Jack would have seen. So if you want to know what the Duo Jets looked like and sounded like when Jack saw them, there is this performance from Hoboken, New Jersey, of all oh, wow. places. <laughs> wow. That was filmed only, only a month. It was uh, before, I think it was March... Ninety-six and the Duo Jets went to St. Andrew's Hall in Detroit in April of 96. So Jack would, you know, he appeared in that Two-Headed Cow documentary, and he said he, meaning Dex, just wanted to express these songs that were coming out of him. It was about energy and attitude and soulfulness, nothing fake about it. So that's where he comes come to, like, that attitude thing, you know? Like, mm. he would look at the Duo Jets and go, like, that's honest music right there. But that's, you know, pretty much it. I mean, we'll talk about this a lot in the interview, but Dex and his sister Sarah, as the Dex-Romweber duo, would go on to record a Blue Room series single with Jack. Jack, it's, I think, the only Blue Room series single where Jack appears on the cover and has a vocal. According to the Blue Room book at the time, that is is true. Yeah, I can't think of another one where he has a vocal, certainly. Because I remember in the book it says cover, but... It's possibly squeaks and squile squiles squeals uh, on another yeah, but then there's a there's a live at the Blue Room record that came out, which is again really great. We talked about that in the show, and there is also Dex and Sarah open for Wanda when Wanda Jackson was on tour for the party and over, which was a third man release, so. Yeah, just a lot of connective tissue there. Dex seems to have a lot of fond memories of Jack and vice versa, obviously. So we were just thrilled to have Dex on the show. And, you know, it, it's a big honor to just be able to talk to the guy. Once again, James, you and I have interview-manced a person onto this show by doing a spotlight episode about them. <laughs> it's it's true. We've uh, we've only got a few to go. Margo, yeah. get back to us. <laughs> yeah, again, Sunhouse is dead i tried, we, uh, but we i don't think we ever did the son. it we did robert johnson also dead yeah. i don't think no i was gonna do a blind willie McTell one before i did the quiz show that's right yeah so anyway without further ado we're gonna get into the interview here we hope you all enjoy it and um hey thanks for coming back for season five of the third Men podcast it's gonna be yeah. fun it's gonna be a fun season be prepared for more it's it's great it's good stuff it's great It's coming from a guy who hates the show. I hate it. It's awful. James doesn't care for it. No, I I try. I try, but I can't. No, I'm kidding. It's great. Everybody, go listen. (laughs) Show's fine. All
1: right.
0: Hey, we'd like to welcome to the Third Man Podcast, Dex Romweber, the legend, the man, the flat duo jet. The, the Dex Romweber. Dex, welcome to the show.
2: Hello, fans. Hello. <laughs> Darling.
0: <laughs> it is so nice to talk to you. We are such big admirers of your work. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. You are uh, iconic and legendary, and uh, yeah, I, I reiterate what Paul said. Super excited to talk to you, and um, can't wait to hear uh, some stories.
2: Well, they're not all good. I, I don't know. <laughs> I I think Willie Nelson said something about some fellow rock star that 20% of his stories were true, but all of... Willie's stories were true, a hundred percent.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> Well fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but uh but we'll take the tall tales too. Uh I reiterate James's reiteration. Right. We're talking to you today for a lot of reasons. You know, we have a lot of questions just about your storied career, but we also wanted to talk a little bit about the Live at the Cave series. First of all, really excited that these shows are going on. And for anyone who's been missing live performance lately in the in the age of the quarantine, it's just really great to be able to see, even if it's virtually, a live performance from you, Dex. So this is a real treat. This is awesome.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't been on stage in like seven months. So I, I don't know, man. It, it's it, It's rough in that you know the wars within you overlap and keep overlapping cuz you you know you're not playing that much. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 kind of a a thing of just keeping mind and body and soul together daily, you know. For sure. But I think it's hard for a lot of people, so I'm definitely not the only one.
0: Well, yeah, this is helpful. You know, I mean, it's like you say uh, to paraphrase what you said, I think music's good for the soul. And, yeah, uh, and so it's really it's going to be great to see you continue to do these. We have the next one up is on Sunday, September twentieth at seven p.m. Yeah. Eastern. It's the third Sunday of every month. We wanted to get that right up front there, so everybody, I've got my ticket, but if you'd like to get your ticket, we'll have a uh, we'll have links in the show notes and on our social channels and all that stuff. But it's a steal, and I'm excited to see this next one, Dex.
2: Yeah, I've I've enjoyed the gigs as they've been so. I'm looking forward to it. I am. That's
0: great. Yeah, us too. So. Yeah. Where did the idea for this series come from? Because uh, I realize uh, everybody's kind of feeling a little little more isolated than usual, so this has been a really nice treat to be able to see these. So where did this spark come from?
2: Yeah, my manager, he, he called me and, you know, he, he's got a whole stable of artists. So I think he's doing that with a lot of his artists. So he asked me if you know, if we could do this once a month thing. The wild thing about the cave is that, well, when I was in there a few weeks ago, it's all musty and dark because no one's, you know, no one's going in there now.
0: <laughs> oh, no, no.
2: So it was very wild, you know, to, to sort of, you know, it's it's below ground. So, you know, you open up this dark cavernous place and it's like, wow, you know, you can really tell people have not been in there.
0: Right, right, yeah, I'm sure some some wildlife has entered the equation as well, perhaps,
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that place has been open since nineteen sixty nine so you know it's an it's a very old bar at Chapel Hill, yeah, nice.
0: Well, you're going to be playing in this next upcoming show songs from Is That You in the Blue. Now, I want to say up front here, this is the the 2011 Dex Ron Weber duo album, Is That You in the Blue. This is one of my favorite favorite records. You know, it reminds me a lot, actually, and I don't know if you got this vibe on it too, Dex, but it reminds me a lot of Go Go Harlem Baby in some ways because they both seem like joyous records. They both seem like a, like a big joyous noise, whereas something Brian. like... You know, maybe Blues That Defy My Souls, albums like that maybe are a little darker in tone. But what I love about is that You in the Blue is that it's got those rip roaring solos. You got those little select deployments of brass and stuff. And so it's just a fantastic, fantastic record. I was wondering if you could tell us just a little bit. I know it's going back a, a little ways now, but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how that record came together.
2: Yeah, it's one of my favorite records that I practically ever did. Yeah. And the thing about me and Sarah is that we rehearsed a lot more than me and Chris Crow Smith did. I I, I mean, it was always pulling teeth to get the Flat Duo Jets to rehearse. (laughs) And I remember I told Crow once, I said that Jackie Gleason of the Honeymooners never rehearsed. (laughs) So that was a little bit of an excuse. (laughs) But I mean, as far as is that you in the blue? You know, we, we got somewhat ready for it. Whereas go, go Harlem baby. We showed up there, not ready at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So no, really, man. And and we got this session with, you know, the infamous Jim Dickinson. And we I mean, we haven't rehearsed. We're not sure what songs we're going to do. And, even go-go started off a little rough because we just couldn't pull it together and then we just said listen we gotta pull this together and that's how that record was made But, you know, Is That You and the blue? it was just a happy accident, and and the stars all aligned at the right time. And primarily, when when I'm doing a record, I have to write songs for, you know, get the record ready to write songs for. So, you know, a bit of that was done. And also other musicians, um, Rick Miller of Southern Culture on the Skids, and Ah man, some of these people I forgot their names. You know, I—it's it, like women on the road, man. I, I've been trying to remember <laughs> the names of these girls I spent time with, and I'm like, my God, I forgot their names. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's horrible.
2: Well, you know, I, yeah, it's, that's I guess <laughs> and that's right. And they meant and roll. so much to me at the time. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Wait, Rick. uh, Rick produced that one too, didn't he?
2: Rick. uh, Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. He got a
0: great, great sound out of this one. It's so crisp. It's just. It sounds beautiful. Is that
2: you in the blue? Is that you almost everywhere? I hope you find. I know it's it's I mean out of uh, beyond you know more than the duo jets that record is my favorite record I think and it kicks
0: off with an explosive track jungle drums which is yeah. an amazing opener it's got that raw power that we've come to love from your music what's the process like going into the sequencing of a record and do you prefer like a kick in the door style opener like jungle drums or do you like to ease in usually I don't really know
2: I I mean I I've opened records with ballads and rockers, but the other night I listened to Images 13. Yeah. And, you know, like Go Go Harlem Baby, it took me 13 years to like. <laughs> so, and and when I first heard Images, I, I wasn't so into it, but the other night I was really into it. Well, that's great. Tastes evolve, yeah. Yeah, and so Is That You in the Blue?, I don't I don't really remember. I think I sequenced it. Um but my sister, you know, she was a force to be reckoned with. So I had to run everything by her, of course. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sarah was the typical older sister, man. I I, I, I could never do right. And she knew it. The got we
0: What was your rhythm together in the studio? Did you and Sarah get there and just work at like a, like a nine to five? Or did you keep like vampire hours? Or how did that
2: work? No, it was like 10 to five or 11 to five or six. Yeah. Every day. That's a grind. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like three songs a day, I think, which is kind of a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm trying to remember. There was something I was going to say about it. God man, I, I, I've been up since ten PM last night. So I Oh my goodness. I can't I'm trying to think. Oh it well, well the thing with Sarah was that her idea was that you shouldn't have the same rhythm of each song, meaning you want different tempos and different styles for each song in a row. Because she felt if if you just played the same rhythm the whole album, people would get bored with that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. It's, and I never heard that before. <laughs> and and all, also, she was really into like dynamics, meaning getting soft and then getting loud. Like you don't just blast away the whole record. Yeah. Which I understood unconsciously from time to time, but she understood it consciously, which I thought was very cool.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things that really uh, kind of make your brain kind of pay more attention if you hear something like that, where you're going soft to loud. And and the sequencing thing is very smart with changing rhythm, which, I mean, granted, I would listen to a song like Jungle Drums just for four hours straight. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> right. Uh, but, uh, you know, getting a little bit of different uh, rhythms and, and tempos in there, it makes you want For more of that and then to get it later in the album it's it's a nice treat
2: yeah and she said i i guess she said or i said i don't remember but it was that when people dance they don't want to dance to the same rhythm all the time i thought that was pretty cool too yeah yeah
0: it sounds like you and sarah really pushed each other when you were in the studio
2: well you know Still waters run deep, but but I mean that as a compliment. Meaning we didn't really have to say that much yeah. to each other, you know. Yeah,
0: That's great. What I love about this album is you also get tracks like uh, Gurdjieff Girl," which is almost like a surf rock flirtation in in a way. There now. I didn't see link Ray I don't think on your board of heroes back in the mausoleum but did you ever have that surf rock uh, flirtation in your own well face that, and...
2: yeah I mean I did but you know Gurdjieff girl it's also jazzy too you know
0: oh that's true yeah
2: yeah there's a bit of jazz influence and and the cat that I loved was Stan Kenton okay okay so the middle break is very influenced by Stan.
1: If I had a good man, it'd be a fine, fine, fine deal. Got those sad and broke blues from my head to my shoes. I got those sad and broke blues from my head to my shoes.
2: parts of it. Um, but I mean, it, again, it's not like something I, I was consciously setting out to do or, or a formula. Mm-hmm. It, it was more like, I'm going to put this together and then put that together, and, <laughs> and then do it this way. And, and then, you know, you have what you have. Sure. But yeah, I did, I, I, could, I, I, I never wanted to be like necessarily defined meaning people thought I was a rockabilly guy, but I didn't want to just be that, even though I grew up on that. Right. And I'm still a huge rockabilly fan, but I didn't just want to do that, you know? Yeah. Right.
0: Well, you also get, like, I mean, going back to Go Go Harlem Baby for a moment, like, yeah, you get the rockabilly song, you get Froggy getting a corn on there, but you also get Apple Blossom Time, which is such a dramatic departure. So you're... And I know it pulls from a similar era in terms of when the song was made, but it is a dramatically different sound. So I think your whole career has had that variance in it. But when I was listening to this one, it was the first time where I was like, is that surf rock in there? It actually took me by surprise when I was listening to it, in a good way.
2: Well, I I love surf music and, you know, I I like a lot of obscure surf music.
1: Mm -hmm. Sure.
2: But I also like Bach and Chopin and Django Reinhardt and Ella Fitzgerald and... You know, a lot, a lot of people. And those records have a lot of that type of influence on it anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, a song like uh, I Wish You Would is amazing. And the guitar on it specifically is raw and assertive, but it doesn't kind of overwhelm the rest of the arrangement. Um, But it was interesting hearing you play in a slightly kind of psychedelic space in something that gives a sort of like almost a prog rock vibe almost it's not quite but it's there (laughs) uh but do do you feel comfortable pushing boundaries with your sound like you said you know you're you're taking influence from chopin and also you know surf rock so do you like pushing the boundaries of your sound from record to record
2: i I think it's the pushing the boundaries in my personal life that (laughs) there you go that bleeps onto record So it's more it's more my lifestyle that I bring to the actual recording session. And so and every record is different. They all sound different. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like where any artist is like that. It's where you're at in your life at the time. Right. So I don't know, man. I, I think I was always into pushing boundaries. But again, man, I was just doing music that I liked or had around. You know, I. I don't know. There wasn't a formula, you know?
0: That's fair. I mean, it's. Yeah. It seems like the constant, I don't want to say constant, but the shifting of genre that can go along with these is it adds a bit of discomfort, and discomfort can definitely make for better art in a lot of cases.
2: Yeah, I've thought about that. And, you know, because there's more to express when you're uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) If, 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 If you don't have any problems, there's. I mean, how, you know, how boring is that? You know, <laughs> the, the, the truth is, though, is what if all you have is problems and then something else?
1: Well,
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe a lot of people do. Maybe all, uh, maybe everyone. All they have is problems. <laughs> yeah, well, do you guys is all you have is problems or do you have some? We all have happy moments, I think.
0: I have a one-year-old baby at home, which means that all of my life is currently
2: problems right now. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, it's wild, James. I mean, my ex-girlfriend, she accidentally had a baby at 42. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And she, so she's for five years, she's been tied up with little Margot, but she is so stressed and uptight. And I, I mean... I ask her, how long is this going to go on? I, you know, I, I, I'm actually worried about her. And, yeah, in that she has to take care of this kid 24-7, man. I, I, there's no way I could do it. And I couldn't have done it at 42 either.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's intense. <laughs> well, I hope you're not telling her how long is this going to
2: go on. <laughs> No, I did. Okay, okay right. I, I did, only in so much as she's just so damn stressed, man. Yeah. Oh, man. And then oh. she said 20 more years or something like that. Yeah. yeah, there you go. And to think that she's in the state she's in now for 20 more years. fuck that. Guys, I think that's horrible. I think that, you know, there's no way... I don't I don't know I, I mean, I could see I could see good reasons on having a kid because you wouldn't be thinking about yourself all the time, which is my dilemma guys
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, well, we have heard of <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm getting, i'm I'm now just like, yeah geez 20, 20 more years. um yeah. I do tend to focus on music in times of stress and things like that. And it seems That's good. Uh, that uh, you did that a lot when you were younger, too. You focused on legends like Elvis and Gene Vincent and uh, yeah. a whole lot of people. But when you were uh, a very young man, like around, you know, 10 or 11, you know, what what kind of records were
2: you listening to? Um, well, James, I was a child of the 70s. So Kiss and Led Zeppelin and Leonard Skynyrd. There you go. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, man. And. My brothers had Rolling Stones records, and I thought those were the most beautiful records. Oh yeah, I, I love the Rolling Stones. And um, Exiles a masterpiece. It's great. Yeah, looking back, you know, I, I think the original Leonard Skinnerd band was an awesome band, mm-hmm. and even Kiss had their moments. Yeah, yeah. and I was into Led Zeppelin. And uh all that big music in the 70s I was listening to like crazy.
0: So was there a particular record or band that made you go I have to start a band myself? And I don't think it was Kiss at this point for
2: you, right? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it was. Oh really? It was really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I mean I I, I I'm not someone had left a guitar behind in our house. And that's how I started playing, but I was just emotionally uh, attached. Like it affected me emotionally, mm-hmm. yeah. so I was drawn to it that way. But yeah, man, I mean, I Halloween dress up as Kiss, and what member were you? Were you were you the Star Child? I was Gene, man.
1: Ah, uh, okay,
2: <laughs> of <Gotta> course. <laughs> yeah, my buddy was the Star Child. No, <laughs> but um. That was the thing, at that young age, discovering, like, uh, I had the Kinks record, it was live from 1965. They released, yeah, it's some weird record. I've practically never seen it since, but in hearing those songs, I thought they were beautiful. And also, and back to the Stones, I would just marvel at how great these records were. Well,
0: Paul and I here have a segment on our show where we do discuss the kinks because we're trying to learn as much as we can about the kinks because we didn't grow up with them really as much as we probably should have. And we call it the kinky corner. So thank you for uh, for joining us in the kinky corner.
2: (laughs) Well, listen, I I, I got a kink story that I'm not sure you've heard. And it's it's the most twisted of all, really, story, please. Yes. Please. Okay. What it yeah. is is that they're on tour in the '60s in America. I guess it's like the mid '60s, and the serial killer John Wayne Gacy is the local promoter for that town show. Dallas. <laughs> oh yeah. God. And, and 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 Gacy invites them over to his house after the show and they hang out with that dude all night.
0: I wonder if he said, "Hey, you guys killed tonight." <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I I hope he did. So, Beats the hell so out wild. of the Beach Boys and Manson. But no, look at if you look it up on the net, one of those brothers will tell that story. I thought that was really fucking tripped out. That is wild. wild.
0: Well, you know it's uh, you know speaking of music from the 60s and the 70s, there was an interview, I forget which one it was, but that I was watching of yours where you made mention of Mark Bolan and T-Rex and I was like, "Oh, cool. I didn't know Dex with, like T-Rex. That's awesome."
2: Yeah, I do and yeah, that was the thing. My brothers had those records. I got a lot of, you know, of influence from from my older brothers. Mm-hmm, yeah. But sure, I thought I thought Mark Boland was too cool for school. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. We also think he was probably too cool with the top hat and everything. Like, we we do love Mark Boland, but I don't think he could actually get into school with the top hat.
2: Um, <laughs> right. But...
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> well, I uh, think back then the music was still raw enough where he could get away with all that. Oh, oh, it's yeah. wild. His, uh-huh.
0: his stuff in T-Rex and his stuff solo is out there, and it's great. We love it. Um, oh, yeah. And to get back to you uh, <laughs> and off <laughs> of T-Rex of the Kings, uh, you have such a wonderful voice. It's got like a, a super timeless quality to it, along with your guitar playing style and that iconic silver tone. It's another big signature for you. Uh, who were you looking at? for guitar playing inspiration, and did you have any kind of formal or familial training? You said that somebody left a guitar at your house. Was that just you learning to play, or...?
2: Yeah, it was a series of really good good accidents, but I, I think I only had just a couple lessons, though. Okay. Yeah. But there was a guy that grew up on our street that knew a lot about music, and, and I met him. He was an older guy, and he ended up playing in a band with my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, but he taught me a lot, James. I, I mean, meaning like 12-bar blues and we would learn songs. Um, his name was Alan McDonald. Uh-huh. Okay. And so, you know, and just and friends and other people and, and, you know, bands I would have, I'd meet musicians that were more learned than me and they would teach me things. Mm-hmm. But then also just listening to records and figuring out, like, you know, Scotty Moore, Elvis's guitarist. Right. And then changing around what he did or, or getting the basic thing of what he did, but then make, making it my own, which a lot of anybody does, you know. Right. But in terms of influence, it, it, it's anybody. It's it's like, um, well, it's, I mean, I could say Jimmy Page, but I'm not that good. <laughs> so people like Django Reinhardt and um, Gene Vincent's guitarist and, and Scotty Moore and. Surf bands, yeah, and all those wild—you know—it's—it's it's kind of—it goes a while back. It's hard for me to remember. <laughs> That's okay.
1: Right.
0: Well, let's talk about songwriting then a bit for a moment. There's, I know, you know, you have a lot of covers on your albums, but you also write a lot of songs too. And, you know, I think of a track like, uh, you know, one of my favorites is that this song, "People, Places, and Things" from Ruins of Berlin. It's a great track.
2: My friends, forgive me, please. Forgive me for the things that made you think less of me. My friends, no life and fear. Forgive me for the things, both far and near.
0: You know, that one seems to be a little bit about wrestling with regret and stuff and, and feels very personal, you know. And I was I wonder. wondering, you know, when you're writing songs, do you approach it with the thought that it's you? singing it or do you approach it from like this is a character in a story singing it
2: no i approach it like i'm singing it okay okay yeah yeah definitely but there's you know there's also a lot of influences in that in the singing too but i've also worked to kind of do away with the influences too and meaning that i'm just getting back i'm just trying to be myself you know
0: yeah it is a struggle to do that. Uh, me and Paul are both artists ourselves yeah. uh, in, in the visual arts medium. And it's it's a struggle to find what your art is uh, yeah. and separate it from the inspiration and the influence yep. because you're influenced by literally everything yeah. that you see and, and do. And so, you know, trying to parse that and make something that is uniquely yours is difficult sometimes. So I, I can definitely appreciate trying to... <laughs> Figure that out. It can be tough.
2: Yeah, and and I mean, that's the thing is we we often want to be other people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, or or I did.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. I think it's most people do, yeah.
2: But then I, I had to not do that anymore, you know? Right. right. Which is its own thing. I mean, it's an own tearing away of a lot of years of influences. But you still retain something, too. Yeah.
0: You hope to hold on to... You know the best of what that influence has brought you, and roll it into you know whatever it is you're doing.
2: Well, the, the the problem I had, and I had this for many years, was that I the sort of the wild lifestyle of these people I wanted to be like. Sure. So, meaning you know Elvis towards the end, I didn't see anything wrong with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: well, well. <laughs> I yeah, mean, the, the, but there is something wrong with it, <laughs> you know, um, and and Gene Vincent, you know, or Jerry Lee Lewis, or you know, these people live really wild lives, yeah. and I mean, I came from a wild household, so it wasn't hard for me to do that. It's something I already knew about. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that can bring us right into the flat duo Jets, which all of these wild influences yeah. probably influenced a lot of your, you know, your stage behavior because the Jets were known for some pretty amazingly wild shows um, yeah. in which, you know, you're moving around and blasting the audience with a lot of energy. Right. How did you and, and Crow approach those those early shows? Was there a set list at all where were you guys... Just- I mean,
2: there wasn't for a long time, but... You know, it was, uh, I, I was I mean, I don't smoke reefer anymore, but I did back then uh, every day and a lot. Yeah. So drugs and alcohol were introduced really early, you know, and so that can make things go further out. boundaries could be pushed but i gotta tell you i mean we yeah we would take lsd before gigs and things you know which is something i'd never do now
0: how were you able to play tripping on acid that seems really hard to do dex
2: No, I mean, it it either went really well or really off the rails. (laughs) But we were able to do it because I think our tolerant, we did it all the time anyway. Sure, sure. But we used to drink before gigs. I don't do that anymore.
0: It seems wild to me that uh, you could function on stage doing all these things, let alone play, you know, the kinds of raucous shows you guys did because we hear tales of of you jumping onto tables and it's wild sometimes. (laughs) It's great.
2: Yeah, I think we wanted to be that, you know? Yeah. But at 54... I don't know, man. It, it's like you start. Life looks a lot different at fifty-four than at seventeen. You know, <laughs> yeah, right, right. It really does. So I'm I'm trying to sort of figure. Out. I, I'm not really confused, but the relationship with my own hometown, I, I'm I'm trying to figure out, or my relationship to society, really, right? And maybe a, a lot of artists struggle with that. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is too sometimes is some artists feel the need to get out of the hometown quickly. And, you know, artists such as yourself, I think in some ways embrace it. And I think that's ultimately probably healthier. But yeah, it's. A, I'm sure it's a struggle, you know?
2: Well, Co- Chapel Hill is a good place to hide out during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. realize that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's not a real happening place. And I've lived various places in my time of living in Chapel Hill too. Yeah. So I mean, it was towns that were even pretty exciting, Atlanta and Athens, Georgia, and even in Virginia Beach for a little while.
0: Nice. It's beautiful there. Yeah. Well, I I was wondering. You know, we talked about your raucous stage shows. Did you and Crow ever bring that same kind of energy into the studio? Like, you we guys did in the in a...
2: beginning. Yeah. Oh no, no, not. Not jumping I mean, not so much jumping. <laughs> I mean maybe we did. I I don't know. For the things you do and say uh, You look like a pilot. A, a, a pilot. <laughs> he, he's, He's gobbing on the copy, Gov, sorry. <laughs> okay. It's rolling, rolling, rolling like the wind. I, I mean, I, I got a whole weird thing with the duo Jets because it became more like a job. Yeah. And we weren't the camaraderie. Once what, what sort of the music career and business thing came into it, A lot of the teenage camaraderie disappeared, right? Yeah, which I I hated because I thought that added more to the music. Absolutely, and I thought we got progressively—I don't—I don't don't even know what to say. The word is it all—it all all became like a job. So you had to be a lot more serious about it, and it was funner when you didn't have to be, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. I totally relate. Uh, yep. <laughs> I got a job in, in illustration uh, right out of school and um, it became a nine to five grind. And I was like, oh, this isn't what I signed up for. I just wanted to make fun pictures and uh, <laughs> do what I want to do. Yeah.
2: yeah. I don't know, man. It's a whole thing of getting older, you know, and I'm not really against getting older, but it's a totally different outlook. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a totally different outlook and it's a totally different experience.
0: In one of those early Duo Jets shows, Dex, we had a... Um, a friend of ours saw you at the college music festival in New York, and he said that the show was so explosive, literally explosive, because you had hurled at one point a guitar into the amplifier.
1: <laughs> and, yeah, and ran out
0: of the place. And we were just thinking, like, oh my goodness, we're lucky, we're lucky Dex didn't get horribly injured out there. A few of those times, like putting it all out there. Did did you ever have any of those like injuries when you were playing live, or? Did you see no? But I,
2: that that night was probably done out of inspiration or absolute anger. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I can't. I mean, I don't remember the night, so I couldn't honestly say. Yeah. But not just not too long ago, I did that at a show playing with my friend Dave, but it was out of anger. Oh. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is it was at the end of the show, so I I could get away with it.
1: when
0: when you don't have to play another song it's easy to
1: (laughs) yeah yeah.
2: (laughs) but no i never really got injured doing that no what what i got injured from was too much time off the road or not playing enough or isolation was i always thought that, that was very injurious to me right yes Last time you You said we were through Wasn't wasn't true true. Wasn't Wasn't true. true In a world such as this
1: Scroll along So along
0: Duo Jets during those years, I think we, you know, James and I weren't able to see you guys then, but it was a sight to behold from everything we've heard. And, you know, I, I, we talk a lot on the show about like authenticity sometimes. Like, is authenticity even really like real? Is authenticity just bullshit or something like that? But, you know, I think the Duo Jets proved that honesty transcends all that stuff. And I always viewed your music as honest. Yeah. Were you guys ever conscious of people's expectations for, like, a rockabilly act? Or did you just not care what other people thought at that
2: time? Um, we didn't really care. I, I mean, I, you know, Crow had, you know, hippie-length hair. And my hair just happened to be whatever it was at the time. Right. So, it, I mean, like, the neo-rockabilly thing and all that, we never wanted to be part of. Yeah, Meaning a look or an upright, you know, all of that, we you know maybe when we were 16 or 15 we would do that but as we got older we didn't want to belong to any sort of you know like i said a particular club or anything yeah so it was it was honest in that way
0: yeah and during the height of the duo jets jack white was one of the people who was in the crowd watching you guys on stage did yes. Jack ever detail to you exactly where he saw you guys perform live originally or what happened?
2: I think he saw us at uh, in Detroit, but I forget. It's a hall, but I forget the name of the, the hall. Uh, hmm. It's kind of a famous one. I want to yeah. say St. Andrew's Hall, but I, I'm not sure that's it. That yeah. sounds right. <laughs> that
0: could be right. right once you said that it's starting to ring a bell but i don't know off the top of my head yeah all right so Um, looking it up here it looks like you guys you don't have all of your gigs documented but there's a few on setlist fm and i found one at saint andrews hall in detroit on april 3rd 1996 which would be about in the window we'd be looking at for jack to have seen that show and it looks like on YouTube, there's some footage of you guys from March in Hoboken from 96. So that would probably sound pretty similar. So that's pretty cool. So that's right around when Jack would have seen
1: you.
2: bring up jack and and the influences and stuff but all i have to say is number one i never thought he sounded like me (laughs) and and that's a compliment and and number two i have my idols and heroes too so you know i was borrowing i'm not saying jack was borrowing anything from me you know at all but he probably dug what he saw or heard you know if we put on a good show that night so yeah
0: I think it was mainly in the energy and the yeah. approach. It was I mean, an energy. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's easy to feel inspired looking at you perform with Crow, and, you know, particularly in those early, in the early 90s, late 80s and stuff. Cause, I mean, you just look like you are living and dying by that music. And so it's, yeah. it's an inspiring sight to behold. And I'm sure he was inspired too. We also heard that Jack sure. went into, um, I guess you and Crash had played a gig in the early 2000s and you had met the White Stripes then. Do you recall that meeting?
2: I, I do. And it was in Boston. And I guess it was uh, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I I don't remember too much about it. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. There, there was this old show on TV and it was just a ridiculous kid's show. And ins- instead of saying, like, hi there how you doing they would go hello frubbins frubbins <laughs> like that f-r-u-b-b-i-n-s and me and sam were driving to the game we said you know when we see jack let's just go hello frubbins. <laughs> 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 like that which actually we didn't do but that i knew we thought that before the gig Hi,
1: about Lobby, sobby, sobby, sobba, mobby, jabby, pub and it would have,
0: uh, it would have kind of fit the uh, the general white stripes aesthetic. They were going for like uh, kids making music, you know, for the children vibe that their band yeah. kind of put off uh, with the. Well, of... Jack
2: has enough energy on his own. I, I mean, I you know he could do anything he wanted. <laughs> I think Dex, we're
0: going to open every interview with "Hello Frubbins uh, From now <laughs> you on, you do on. it. Thank you for that.
2: Yeah, I think the show is called Zoom. Was the name of the show? Zoom. I, it was like a '70s show. <laughs> <laughs> very, very weird, man.
1: bit wobble dabu, abel Yabor, habu Waberk, Aben habu pyabu, abon abel
2: Yabar tabis. Very weird.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um so you know, when you you wind up doing a a Blue Room series single at third man and stuff later on. In the Blue Room book, actually Ben Blackwell dropped a little interesting tidbit in there where he said that you had initially envisioned Jack to participate in some way in the Ruins of Berlin album, but it just didn't happen for one reason or another. Right. I was wondering if did you have something in mind for like a song for jack to participate on that record or is it more like let's see what happens in the studio kind of deal
2: i think it would be see what happened because i can't i can't remember what we would have got him on yeah it might have been the opening track lookout or something okay but i i can't remember i can't recall
0: We've got a lot of great people join you on that record. I think that's the one Neko Case is on, right? And I think Cap has yeah. on that one, too. So Yeah. Yeah. It's a good album. <laughs> nice. In that Blue Room single, Jack contributed uh, mm-hmm. some of his signature squawking and stylings <laughs> in the in the background. Mm-hmm. That song is so good. We love it.
2: Well, have you heard the original Last Kind Words? Yes. Yeah, because it's, it's wild he chose that song because it had, It had been one of my favorite songs for a while or one I wanted to track down. Mm -hmm. And then when we came in there, he said, this is a song I want to do, which is too wild because I'd been thinking about it for a year. Wow. The last kind words I hear my daddy say The last kind words I hear my daddy say If I die in the German world,
1: want you to send my body, send it to my mother-in-law, if I get kill. if I get killed.
0: We, I think I read that it had influenced the song Prison Called Life from Blues That Defy My Soul.
2: Um, Yeah, it might have. Yeah. It might have. I mean, a, I, Prison was, I I, I keep thinking it's something from Lead Belly or yeah, somebody yeah. like that. But I'm not really sure, you know. I mean, those minor chord blue songs or, or folk ballads I, I've always really liked, um, mm-hmm. meaning more in the line of Hank Williams or, or uh, Jimmy Rogers or somebody like that. Right. Yeah. So with
0: The Wind Did Move, which was the other side of the 45, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about how you came to write
2: that song? Well, that was, I mean, I had had that before we went in there, um, and we hadn't done anything with it. Mm-hmm. But it was primarily for me writing songs as I get in a sort of mental reverie or, or sort of contact my unconscious. And if I'm lucky, something really comes through. So that tune was one of those moments where the idea of playing a high E minor and then going to a low E minor. Mm -hmm. was, you know, I I attribute my unconscious to a lot of these things. Yeah. Or songs just through the ether somehow,
0: you know? Yeah, you want to talk dynamics. That song can bring you to another place very quickly and then bring you right back. And it's disorienting in a way, uh, like a good way. It makes you uh, question where the song's taken you. And I I like- Hey,
2: it it makes you question reality. (laughs) 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 Yeah, for sure. I, no, mean, no, the, I yeah. mean, yeah, to be honest with you, I uh, I, I have a post-trauma stress disorder mm-hmm. okay. um, after a hell of an experience in Orlando, Florida after a show. So I was, you know, for many, many years, I was still making records and still doing things when I actually had a profound disorder on my hands. <laughs> um, So if any of the material makes you question reality (laughs) or exactly where it's going to go, I mean, I can honestly tell you, man, I'm still trying to figure that out.
0: Well, I tell you, Dex, like whenever I hear a song of yours, you know, even if it's a cover, it always feels like Dex Romweber is carved into the record somehow. Like I feel like you, you're just putting it all in there, and whether it's your yeah. own, your subconscious, your conscious mind, whatever it is, but it does take you to another place. And yeah, you know, I mean,
2: and that's the, or, or, or one's daily life. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, I think it was Bruce Springsteen once said like rock and roll is the promise of the ever present now. And that's, kind yeah. of like, that's the vibe I get from your stuff is like in that moment, this was Dex, Rom Weber, here it is. And it's beautiful.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks. And I just, I, I just want, you know, anyone, I always just tell people, I hope they got something out of those records. That's all I said. That's all I say. Yeah.
0: Well, we, we know, we know certainly Jack White did. I I had a question, you know, when you were working with Jack on that blue room single, what did he ever come across as how, what was collaborating with him? Like, was he like, very noticeably like a fan of yours or was it more like an old no business? he
2: no it wasn't business he was a very nice fellow, and he's yeah. always been mm-hmm. you know I, I think it's hard for someone to get that famous and then people start tearing you down or putting you down and when people ask me about jack i always say he's he's a, he's really a nice cat and, he, and he's always been nice to me so i i have nothing to say you know to people that that want to tear him down because he that's just not my experience
0: yeah i mean you get that like exactly what you said like you get to a certain point and people feel like they can just start throwing punches but i feel like jack's also the kind of guy that wouldn't be shy about throwing punches back anyway so
1: right
2: (laughs) but in the studio it wasn't all business man it was it was more about getting tracks down and ideas and um it wasn't about anything but that. Sure.
0: Really? You mentioned in the Blue Room series book that you were interviewed in that maybe there were some other projects with Jack that just didn't work out at one time or another. Do you recall any of those projects or what they may have been?
2: No, I, I don't. I, I don't think we were going to do anything other than what we did. I, I haven't heard anything. Oh, fair enough.
0: In 2010, we got that Dex-Ron Weber duo live record from Third Man, and that is... One of my all time just favorite records of yours. Like, even, you know, sometimes live records. Yeah, you know, because the performance sounds so energetic. felt like I was in the room, you know, listening to that record when it yeah. came out. I felt like I was there. I wondered if you had any recollections of that night or you had any just general impressions of what this rock and roll playland that Jack built down in Nashville was like. I was wondering if right. you just had any thoughts about that.
2: Well, my thought about it is that, number one, I'm my, I'm my own harshest critic. So I, I can tell I mean, I can, you know, like I said, like it took me 13 years to like Go-Go Harlem Baby. <laughs> so, and the first real LP the Duo just made, I didn't like it all. <laughs> well,
0: that's a and problem. So
2: <laughs> it, it is. Um, and then there's records like, Is There Is That You in the Blue? where I go, That's It, you know? Yeah. Mm. Meaning I like that right away. And I could pick a bunch of records that I have problems with. But the live third man record i i i felt i was just too ah i thought i was too off center in a certain way
0: hmm. okay
2: and maybe no one noticed me and sarah noticed <laughs> <laughs> but but i can tell you i mean i i listened to it a, maybe a month ago and you know the songs start off really fast i i mean and sarah would count them but she never wanted songs to be too fast <laughs> And I see her point, but I'm not blaming her. I think she was picking up on my nervousness.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So, but it, it wasn't really anything in particular. It was just sort of, I don't know, maybe it was the post-trauma stress acting up again.
0: That nervousness can be seen as energy to an outside eye. And whether it's good or bad, it, you know, it comes through in a, like a great musical performance. So me and Paul both, both really dig well, it.
2: Well, that's cool. And that's good to know (laughs) because I, I, it's good to know because I'm so damn critical of practically a lot of it. So not just that record, but any, any record.
0: There was performances on that one of songs from ruins of Berlin and that, I thought were better even than the studio. Like, I, I don't know, I like like James was saying, I, if there was, I couldn't detect it. I th- I just thought it was energy. I mean, there's, there's one point where you break a string and you're just like, I'm going to play this with five strings.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: and it was just like, cool, you know, it's rock and roll.
2: Well, yeah, I remember that happened. The st- string broke and it shouldn't, like I had literally just changed those strings and it, that shouldn't have happened. <laughs>
0: That's the kind of influence that we think you know jack took from you is that raw real Back. kind of performance you know if something goes wrong you work with it you don't you know stop the yeah. show you just you, this is the song now it's got five strings we're doing it yeah. uh, and if you don't
2: like yeah. it you know <laughs> you. you know it's, it's right <laughs> hey jack i think i'm going to borrow one of your guitars here i tell you usually these strings last about 4 gigs and uh it's the second one tell you what let's try this baby on five strings here why not it's a song called blues that define my soul here we go
0: We see that in a lot of performances of your live shows that we've seen filmed. It seems to be kind of a natural thing in any band or performance you're in. It's just going with the show and taking mistakes and working with them.
2: Yeah, well, there, there was a classical uh, violinist, Paganini, and he was so good that he, and I, I'm i not near on his level, but he tuned the violin And he had intentionally broke three strings (laughs) and played like the rest of the concert on one string. (laughs) And the audience is like, wow, you know, this is this is amazing. Wow. You know, there is that aesthetic, too. I never forgot that Paganini story. Wow.
0: Yeah. Speaking of legendary performances, you, you got to tour with Wanda Jackson. Yeah. Which talk about, you know, rock and roll royalty. Did you get a chance to pick Wanda's brain about her career? Any, any juicy Elvis stories uh, from Wanda that you could share with us or no?
2: Well, he, she said, you know, I saw her in a picture with Gene Vincent.
1: <laughs>
2: and so I asked her about Gene, and she said she never met him. <laughs> when, when I saw this photo of them together, <laughs> and I didn't have the photo, but I knew I saw it. Uh, and she goes, oh, I never met him. I mean, that's rock and roll for you. <laughs> yeah, I, and I said, you dated Elvis, right? And she goes, yeah. And she, and she said, and I said, what was that like? And she just said, well, we were young and having the time of our lives. <laughs> it, she just made it sound like, you know, it's like whenever, when all of us are young, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, that's pretty much all she said about press. (laughs) I call Elvis. You know, (laughs) I mean, yeah, she didn't elaborate, but that's all she said. We were young and having the time of our lives, (laughs) or or she said we were in the prime of our lives. There you go. I think, yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. When you look at old footage of Wanda from the late '50s, early '60s, she is, I see. Some of the stuff in your live performances, I see in her, just like this raucous roar, you know, from her. She is just a force of nature. Did you guys get a chance to hang out much during those gigs? Because I know you played a, you played a few Um, gigs together.
2: Yeah, I mean, not much. She had her husband with her, and and he was always like the protector and you know the concern guy. Sure. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, she was a bit older, so it's not like she wanted to hang out. You know, yeah, well, fair enough. But she was a big fan of Sarah, my sister's. And I got the feeling, you know, it was like a women, you know, like women rock and rollers. You know, they got to stick together. Sure. Yeah. You know, stick together in this man's world or those bad men. Um, Not not necessarily. <laughs> but, you know, it was definitely a camaraderie thing where, you know, women, you know, with their deal, they got to hang together. That's the feeling I got. Oh, well, a hearty woman, soft,
1: dirty man, been causing trouble ever since the world began. Oh, yeah, ever since the world began. Oh, 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 oh. hearty
2: woman is a thorn in the side of a man. Now, Adam said to Eve, listen here to me.
0: We'd like to remind everybody out there that if you do want to see Dex play live, you can. We want to remind everybody that the Live at the Cave performance is on Sunday, September 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And you can buy a, a ticket if you head to paypal.com slash paypal.me slash steelmgmt. That's S-T-E-E-L-E-M-G-M-T. And uh, we'll provide some links and stuff, but you can catch uh, another amazing performance by Dex playing some songs from uh, Is That You in the Blue? And so that's, again, live at the cave and September 20th, 7 p.m. Eastern. Everybody, all of our listeners should see this. Dex is a force to be reckoned with. He is a legend.
2: Well, thank you, guys. Is this the
0: end of it? Well, we uh, we had one more question here. You know, we've go, heard go it, ahead. Yeah, heard, we heard tell that there was that some of these shows were going to contain the debut of some new songs. I was wondering if there was anything you could tease for us about what's in the works for Dex Romweber.
2: Well, it's a good question, and I have this r- new record that's already recorded, Ooh. and I really like it. Hey, the, yeah, no, no, listen, yeah, this is one of those records I don't have a lot of problems with. <laughs> But the thing is, is that Bloodshot Records of Chicago—they're in horrible trouble now. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I'm talking about litigation. Nothing's being released. Um, there's a lot of uh, legal stuff, and so this record was recorded last winter, and it's been sitting there ever since. Oh man! And I, I don't even know when or if it's going to be released. It'll be released somehow. I'm just not sure they'll be doing it. Okay. But they shell out the money for it, and um, it's kind of weird. But, man, I I mean, I've been playing, like, at, at these piano concerts. I play some records and some records that I like. So the last one I did, I played cuts off this new record. Oh, okay. Okay, great. So if people tune in, they can hear it that way, some of it. Because I'm going to do that again next month.
0: Fantastic.
2: But again, it, it just, you know, it has, God, man, you know, not being away since 10 p.m. last night, it's hard for me to think. I can imagine. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I But, yeah, it, it, like any of my records, it, it has some original and some covers okay but i do a nina simone song actually it's not her song and there you go with in influences again you know (laughs) meaning that she borrowed from somebody who borrowed from somebody who borrowed from somebody (laughs) right right so the song is called for all we know and but it was actually written in the 20s oh wow and then she turned it into something totally different but when I sang, there, there's a lot of things. When I was singing on that record, I was getting inspiration from places to sing. But the opening song, If You Love Me, there was a, a Mexican girl that was uh, raped and murdered here in North Carolina, oh. 14 years old. And uh, when I was singing If You Love Me, I imagine holding her hand. And I was so emotional. Singing this fucking song, and I and Hana was her name, Hana. Mm-hmm. And so when I was singing, "If You Love Me," I I imagine Hana in the studio with me. Yeah. Then that's sort of what the song is about. Or I mean, it's not about her, but it's about when our time on Earth is through. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's something. If when people ever hear that opening song, I was I was thinking of Hannah. So wow, wow.
0: That sounds like a, another emotional and uh, very personal record for you. We're just yeah. really excited to hear it because, you know, Dix, so you've had a lot of different albums over the years, and there's like we were saying, there's always something great you bring to the table on each one, and we're just excited for the new music, and we're looking forward to hearing it. Thank you for keeping, keeping at it, man. Thanks for keeping rocking all these years.
2: Yeah, listen, man, and I will as long as I can. Yeah, the record is called "Good Thing Going." Is the name of the record?
0: Good thing going.
2: Yeah. Well, well, well listen, good... you guys. Thanks a lot. Okay, I, I I need to see where my freaking friend is with this <laughs> doctor's appointment.
0: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, good luck with that, Dex.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah. listen, guys. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you, Dex. Okay, I'll uh, see you right. later. Okay. All bye. Right, bye.
0: Well, James, that was an awful lot of fun talking to Dex Romweber. Thank you, Dex, for joining us on the show. You are a legend. We love you. Come back anytime. We love you. Please. I hope. <laughs> Come back. So, yeah, apparently he was up all night at the time of that recording, um, which we feel a little bad about, but, uh, you know, he dutifully answered our questions and was very kind with his time and uh we hope you found your friend yeah we do we yeah so yeah anyway it was it was really great talking to you dex we have some other thanks we'd like to extend out to the people who are supporting us people on patreon such as derek ferguson forever ferguson we have michael brookfield of the bone brookfield we have Tam Davis, our third-person spirit every week. Luke Sinclair, loop me over closely. Josh Aiken, Joe Shakin' all over. Uh, thank you, Josh. Uh, Josh will be joining us on some future episodes of Season 5 shows, mm-hmm. and Josh has also been doing some great stuff behind the scenes for us. We really appreciate Josh. We have Melinda Taylor. Melinda Taylor, Lord, send me an angel down. Julia Hickling, the $3 hat to Stu Cat, or Stu Driver. We have Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation. Brenda Englehart, we want to be the boys to warm your Englehart. Yvette Wilkins, Wilkins on sunshine. Brett Garski other the Brett three killed my Garski. We have Elizabeth Myers rolling in on a burning Myers. I'm sticking mm-hmm. with that one. For good, this. It's a good one. I mean, there's one eye, one blank stare looking up Myers there. It's also good. There's also that one. We have Melinda Endress. You look pretty in your fancy Endress and Shane Ben Jamson or the Shane boy you've always known. Thank you all for supporting us on Patreon. Yes. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon, we'll have an ad at the end of the show tell you how to do that. Yeah, and if you'd like to uh, communicate with us and uh, maybe get in a uh, every single one's got a story to tell spotlight or a uh, pancake batter another segment of our show which is very similar um, that's when you have an opinion. It doesn't and you send matter it to us. Yeah. Right. Uh, yes uh y- you could do so a number of ways you can communicate with us a number of ways you can find us on facebook that's facebook.com slash third men you could tweet at us that's at third on twitter you can tumble on down with us That's third paul will update that one day i refuse uh we've got our website you can find uh, our show on uh third thank you to josh aiken for buying that domain name that we were too lazy to buy We've got a yawn break here that's from last time. That's Jaws and... Jaws gape. Jaws gape? Oh, that's... Yeah, okay. Gaping mouth. Okay. It's fine. We're running out of rhymes. People who don't listen to the show won't understand that, so maybe we shouldn't talk about that. Anyway, there's <laughs> you can email us. Just say hey if you want on email or send us a listener question or a correction. Uh, you can email us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at the third man underscore podcast where we post show pictures. We post pictures of uh, things we do in non-COVID times when we're going to Jack White-related shows, and we also post pictures relating to the episodes and teasers for the upcoming episodes. So you can find us on there. It's great. Paul does great work there. You can uh, find Thank some, you, James. you could, you could buy some of our merch and help out the show. If you don't want to become a, a, a monthly patron, you can do so by just buying, you know, make, buy a cheese board or something. Hey, buy a, we cheese, do a cheese board, boards. <laughs> uh, or a t-shirt or a hat or, uh, you know, whatever, who cares? You can buy a change purse. we got a lot of things available for you, uh, with some designs, that we have uh, show logos and some other assorted white stripesy or Jack Whitey kind of designs. And uh, you can find that on bit.ly slash thirdmenmerch. That's bit, bit.ly slash thirdmenmerch. I recently posted some images of the different designs you did to our social channels, James, and they are awesome. There's a I'll Be Looking for a Home Thank shirt you. and design. There is a uh, Your Podcast's Not Dead. Design. There is a Carl Butterball uh, and Butterball Farms Appreciation Society <laughs> shirt. You could get a lot of cool stuff. So we hope everybody goes and checks those out. Again, that's bit.ly slash third men merge. Yes. And you could find our show on ACAST. They host our show. It used to be Pippa. I used to love them. Now I love ACAST because Pippa is gone. Now it's just ACAST. But yeah, you could search us on there. I could give you the 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 link but i don't think you'll type in a bunch of numbers <laughs> uh, you could search us on youtube either search us there or go right to our youtube page that's youtube.com slash c slash the third Men podcast where we put some visualizers occasionally or some animations or some interview segments you know we do we, we occasionally throw some stuff on there i think it's been at least a year but uh yeah you could do yeah. that it's been a little bit it's been a minute but uh, I should post something new so uh, yell at me you can email us and yell at me to post more stuff um, you could rate review and subscribe that would help us a great deal you could do that on rate us dot and uh, yeah feel free to give us some uh, five star rating and we'll maybe we'll uh, you know I love it I don't think we have any contests going on right now because it's season five. And we we would really appreciate a five-star rate. If you've been listening to it's – been, it's been a lot of seasons. If you've been listening to us from the beginning, we want to hear from you. We want to yeah. see a rating. We want to hear from you. We want to interact with you. We know there's people out there that listen to the show that just don't interact with us. We want to say hi. Like it's part of the thing. Yeah. You know? It's a fun Jack White fun club. It's fun. a fun Jack White fun club. <laughs> Unofficial, I should say. Unofficial. Unofficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, if we sound desperate, it's because we are. We want you. We- five stars, please. <laughs> yeah. Pretend uh, we're the Michelin men and give us five stars. Uh, as always, we'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme songs, as well as Susanna Rountree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. Until next time, James, I'll be looking for a home inside of a inside of a rusty podcast. We're restarting here. I'm finally feeling like we're warmed up, and we're already done with the first episode. I know, and uh, I will be looking for a home in the mausoleum that we didn't talk about. Yeah, he lived in a mausoleum in the woods for a while. <laughs> Again, listen to episode twenty-five. Bye. Bye. She's a loud walker. <laughs> oh. Okay, I think we're all together now.
2: All right. Hey, Dex, how are you? I'm all right, man. I, I haven't slept all night, and my friend needed me to drive him to this doctor's place, so I'm waiting for him in this very sterile environment oh Oh my (laughs) (laughs) and and then they have a TV on so I'm watching all like the criminal activity and just the bad news (laughs) oh no I'm sorry so really I just want to go home and sleep when he gets out of here after talking to you guys
0: (laughs) yeah yeah well that's a Wow, that sounds horrible, Tex. I'm so sorry. Oh my Isn't goodness.
2: it weird? American life is very weird because you can find yourself in places you totally don't want to.
0: I'm happy that my life... I mean, you... You made such a... Uh, an impression the first time I did it As if I was doing it wrong And I was doing it so right And you were like you're not doing it right And I'm like I think I'm doing it right It's, it's weird because when, when Ryan and I do them I hear his at the same time as mine And when you and I do them I hear them after Sometimes I hear yours after too Or, right. or like when we do uh, An interview with somebody It's like click, click 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 It's fine. It's fine It's all fine left the studio he is now screaming, he is charging out of the room he's angry he's angry with how how wrong I am he's just angry, he's screaming he's storming out of the (laughs) studio oh he's back (laughs) (laughs) we're getting a getting a kitten today are you really that's super exciting just off the street or (laughs) no we had to do uh Susanna had to have uh, an interview for it it's gonna cost 90 american dollars where do you see yourself in five cat years (laughs) Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100 plus episodes. Podcasting is however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I've set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash. So just know that listening to our show is always payment enough, but if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right all from me. Remember you can head to patreon.com slash third men podcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. Alright everybody, I'll see you on the show. I'm
2: John, I'm Paul, I'm
0: John, I'm Rico, and I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Pixie's a you talk about ghosts. She is she may as well be dead. <laughs> she's <laughs> she she is like a ghost. This she's an apparitious entity that that does come around periodically when she's when she's hit a pit of despair. It's just at a real at just the bottom, and then she comes around looking for like pets, but she wants nothing to do with Eleanor, and Eleanor has learned that she wants nothing to do with her, so she doesn't reciprocate. Wow! So it's just like, yeah. And then I had to put the food by the toilet so I'd remember to feed her. So because we forget we have a cat,
1: <laughs> it feels we like, like I remembered one.
0: Well no, we're in there. So like I'm seeing it daily and it reminds me, Oh yeah, there's a cat. Let's <laughs> <to> feed it. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's feed it. I don't I don't know how long it's been without food, but I'm in here pretty often. So I'm monitoring whether I like it or not. Wow. Well, that's good.
1: eat. <laughs> Idi- You chose not to get an octopus, why?